Oh, goodness. Well, welcome back here. After a week off, I was joking that, oh, you know, we took a week off last week because we wanted to skip a hard topic. But then it's like, no, 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 we're going to dive into that. If you know us, we're going we're gonna to not be afraid to dive into that. Last week, actually, excuse me, two weeks ago, two weeks ago when we gathered together, we talked about trials. We were in James chapter one, right at the first couple of verses. We talked about trials and where James says that, you know what, even when a trial comes, we can walk in joy because we are in the Lord. And the trials are not there for our destruction, for, uh, for us to lose faith, for us to lose heart. Our trials are there for something else. You remember what our trials are there for? What the scriptures say our trials are there for? It's right there in the, the scriptures. The joy, maturing, perseverance, growth, all of those kind of things that God says, hey, you're going to experience trials, and when you walk the path with me, you can walk a path, you can actually walk a path of joy, and it's for your growth and your maturity. And so what we did two weeks ago is as a body, both services as a body, uh, we wrote down on sheets of paper things that were heavy on our hearts for 2020, things that either we were coming out of the, the last year and they were struggles, they were trials that we were walking in, or things that we expect uh, to be walking through in 2020, and we wrote those down in an act of, and we collected those in an act of, God, these are yours. We want to walk through these trials with you. We want to give those to you with the idea that the outcome, we are okay with the outcome, no matter what God does in the midst of the trial. And what we are so often afraid of is God's going to do something that we don't like the outcome or we don't agree with. It wasn't part of our plan or whatever. But giving those trials to God, we, we did an exercise where we said, God, you are going to hold these trials for us. You're going to walk through these trials with us. We give them to you. We give you the outcome. We give you the results. We give you the fruit and the growth that's going to come from these that we can experience as we walk through these trials. And I wanted to clarify that, that said this last service, is that when we were giving these trials, we, we weren't saying that, okay, whew, now I've written them down, now I've acknowledged them, now I've put them in the jar, they're gone, and now I don't have to worry about experiencing them. That's not what we were doing. We we're actually saying, God, we know that we will probably have to walk through these things this year. Either we're doing it now or we'll, we know we'll be walking through them a little bit later. God, we know that we're going to walk through these things this year, but we do acknowledge that you are a good God. You want to lead us down that path of joy, and we, we, we put them in here fully aware that you are in control, and we are trusting in you with the outcome and the results of those trials. And we talked about, you know, yeah, God walks us through things because he wants us to continue to mature and, and he actually says, I want you to lack nothing. I want your faith to lack nothing. And you can actually experience that. You can actually grow when you walk through the trials with me. I want you to lack nothing. And so we, we, we put our trials together. We said, God, I'm going to give these to you as a body. We are going to give these to you and allow you to have the outcome and the results of them. But James is not done with the trial passage yet. We can say, oh, yeah, great, we, we gave our trials to God, we, 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 the burden's off us, hey, that was great exercise, now they're in the jar, and now they're off my shoulders. Now, James says, oh, no, you know, there's more to this trial thing than just saying, oh, God, hey, here you go, you, you handle it, because we will have to walk through the trials. It doesn't say if they come, it's basically when they come, when you experience them, there's a, there's a, there's a growth path or there's a death or destruction path. And so there's, so there's some good news and some bad news today. 
When I say that, who here likes to hear the, the, the good news first? If, if you've got two choices, good news, bad news, who, who here likes to hear the, the good news first? Who here likes to hear the bad news first? Okay, well, tell you what, I'm giving you the good news first. <laughs> I wrote the message, we're going to do the good news first. Actually, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the good news, and then we're going to talk about the bad news, then we're going to go back to some good news again, very briefly. So there is some good news. Like I said, James starts us off in, chap- in, in verse 2, chapter 1, verse 2, and we, we read this last time, and he says, consider it joy. Consider it joy joy. You have the opportunity to walk down the path of joy. Why? And he's going to end it here when we get into verse 17 and 18. He says in this chapter, chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. And James is going back to creation language here. He's using creation language, reminding us that our creator God, the one that created all of this stuff, the one that we may feel like is, is way off there, doesn't have a clue that what we're going through is, is so distant. And, and a lot of people have that view that God is distant. God is out there. Does really God really care? And James comes in and says, the creator God, the one who created the lights in the heavens, the the heavenly beings. This is like celestial language here. The one who created the heavenly beings, he does not change. He provides every good and perfect gift from above, and he does not change like the shifting shadows. We talked about last week that what is our tendency? As we're walking through a trial, we're experiencing a difficult time in our lives. Our tendency could be to, okay, God, I'm going to be really spiritual. Yes, I'm giving those things to you. God, you got this, you got this, you got this. But then what do we do after Sunday, the next day, when we actually have to get back into the real world of the week, is we said, we've given the trials to God, but then, wait, I think I, I think I need to hold on to these a little bit longer. I need to try to figure this out because I'm not sure about God's plan. I'm just going to hold on to them just a little bit longer. And really, it's like, no, no, no. You give them to God, you give them to God. Give them to God, don't sway. And he says, hey, you're actually, we are all actually like waves of the sea, crashing and coming and, and coming as waves and changing and, and, and shifting like the waves of the sea. And he says, God does not do that. God is not like the changing and shifting shadows. God created the sun and the moon and the stars, and the sun and moon and stars give us the shadows and the changing seasons and the changing days and, and all that kind of stuff. But God does not change. God is not like that. You will be tossed to and fro, waves of the sea. You will try to grab this stuff, take it back, hold on to it, deal with it yourself. And God says, no, no, no. You put it in the jar. It's keep it in the jar. I've got this. I want you to trust in me. I want you to put your hope in me, your faith in me, all of those things. I've got this. I am the good God who created everything. And oh, by the way, I know you and 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 you. And I can point to everybody in this room, everybody in first service, church down the street, the, the market down the street. God says, I know you. I love you. I want to give you good gifts. I want to provide what you need. I want to help you mature. I want to have you lacking nothing in this life. And yes, it's not if you'll go through a trial, it's when, and we can still work through that too. I'm big enough to work through your trial. We're going to sing a song later about taking our doubts to God. He's big enough to take our doubts. He's big enough to take our struggles. He's big enough to take our questions. And he says, bring it to me. I will help you figure this out. I will give you the wisdom you need, but will you give it to me? I want you to lack nothing. And oh, by the way, I provide good gifts for my children. And 
18, it says, By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth. God offered us a new birth by the word of truth, which is Jesus Christ, to be the first fruits of his creatures, or may say in your scriptures, of his creation. And that was not, he was not coerced. It said by his own choice, God was not coerced. God was not forced into it. God what, you know, didn't hear voices on the side saying, well, if you were really a loving God, then this is the way you would act. No, no, no. By his own choice, God's own choice, God's own mind, God's own will, God's own plan. He says, I want to open up the best gift for you, which comes through Jesus Christ. And there's a whole host of things that come with that salvation, eternity with God. Oh, and by the way, you can start to experience this kingdom living thing right here, right now. He says, guys, guys, all the good and perfect gifts, look for those. They, they come from our Father, the Creator, who calls us His children. They come from His hands. Jesus says the same thing. Remember, James is the, the little brother of Jesus. And Jesus says some, same, some of the same things, and, and James is just repeating his, his brother's teaching, Jesus' teaching. Jesus says, I have come to give you abundant life, right? John 10, 10, we know that verse. I have come to give you abundant life. I have come to give you a good life, a peaceful life, a prosperous life, one where you can actually handle the struggle, handle the trial, handle the difficulties that come your way. This is my desire for you to grow through that, to move through that. Just trust in me. And we love, we love that abundant life verse, right? All of us here, at one time or another, probably grabbed onto oh, Jesus, give me more of that abundant life. I want to experience more and more of that abundant life. Give it to me in abundance. Give me your love in abundance. Just map out that road for me. Show me all that prosperity. Show me all those good things that you want to give me. And Jesus wants to do that for us. But we forget. I was talking to a friend of mine earlier the last couple of weeks. We forget. He reminded me. We forget the rest of that verse. And before that, it says that there's a thief that comes to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus says, but I want to give you abundant life. But there is still a thief who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And who wants to disrupt the plans of God. Who wants to break down the plans of God. Who wants to take us away. And, and we can't be removed from our relationship with God. But the enemy shores can, can really try to pull us away and try to get us to do things that, that would draw us away from being fellowship with God and one another. And James is actually going to talk about the enemy a little bit later, and that's going to be a later time where we'll dive in a little deeper on this enemy that we face. We'll touch a little today, but he says, there are things that are going to try to steal and destroy the good that Jesus is doing through you and in you. And in this passage, he's going to say, you know what some of those things are? It's our own minds, it's our own hearts, and it's our own desires. It's very, very easy for me to go around and, and fall in the trap or fall in a pit or make a bad decision and say, man, you know what? The devil made me do it, right? I mean, how, who here has thought that some, you made a poor decision, something happened in your life that was destructive, and you're just like, oh, the devil made me do that, you know, and why can't God take care of that? Or why did God... Why did God putting the blame on God, why did God allow this to happen? Or, hey, why did they treat me that way? 
person that in our life. Why did they treat me? Why did they cut off relationship? Why did they badmouth me? Why did they, whatever it is, and James is going to tell us, hey, you know what? The way we respond, the way we act when it comes to trial, to difficulties, to broken relationships, to things that are broken in our lives, we have to own those. We have to own those. If you read this scripture, if you actually caught the words that we were reading, it says we are going to have to own these things, our responses to the temptations that come in our lives. And that's the bad thing, the bad news. The good news is that God has opened opened up such a wonderful path for us, a path of life. He says, I've given you birth to a new life if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. The bad news is there are going to be things in this world that want to steal, kill, and destroy the work that God is doing in your life and in my life. And Jesus has opened up, like I said, a a great path for us, the path of life. And I think one of the great lies that we believe is that maybe because I said that prayer. I said the prayer when I was four years old. So you know what? I've been with Jesus since I was four years old. That's, that's 40 years. That's 40 years this year. I've been with Jesus 40 years. Now, I shouldn't ever experience anything difficult. All those sins, all the whatever, you know, that, that, should, that should not be present in my life. And that's kind of a great lie that we, 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 we listen to or we tell ourselves that bad things should stay away from me because I am in relationship with Jesus. And I think we can get mad when bad things happen to us because I'm in relationship with Jesus. I put my trust in Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus. Why is this stuff not swept away? Why is this stuff not swept away? There's an enemy. James is going to talk about the enemy. Jesus talks about the enemy. Sometimes the enemy is in our own minds, our own thoughts, our own hearts, and the desires that we hold inside. And James is going to say here in verse 13, no one undergoing a trial should say, This is what we don't say. I am being tempted by God since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. It's not in in God's nature to sin. God will not sin. God is a holy God. And because of that, he will not change his nature and how he interacts with us. And he will not lead us into temptation. He he says, I'm going to walk with you through this trial, but I'm not leading into temptation to destroy your faith to demolish your faith. My goal is when you walk through trial, when you have a difficult time, it's for you to grow. It's for you to mature. It's all those kind of things. But we kind of get trapped in, oh, the destruction. And we let someone else, either it's Satan's influence, maybe some outside voices who we know we've struggled with in the past, who have given us bad advice in the past, but we keep letting it feed into our lives and we keep being tempted by that. Maybe it's our own stuff, our own past stuff, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, that keeps pulling us pulling us in, no one is to say that God is tempting us because he doesn't tempt anyone. His his intent is not to destroy anyone's faith. His intent is to have everyone come to faith in Jesus Christ. But, verse 14, each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. I'm a Christian. I shouldn't have evil desires. I'm a believer in Jesus. I shouldn't have evil desires. Okay, James is writing to a church. James is writing to a group of believers here. Uh, He's not writing just a pamphlet that that goes out in the marketplace. He's writing to a group of believers and said, each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. And this is a path that that we can be on. Our natural birth, when we were born, our natural birth, our natural character is that of sin, right? You know, Adam and Eve chose to to dismiss God's great plan for them. 
They chose to walk in sin. They chose to eat the fruit. They chose, you know, it was a temptation. It was something sitting out in front of them. It looked appealing. It appealed to their own desires, and they chose to embark on that path. And because of that, we all are living in sin. When we are born into this world, our state is that of one of sin. And we, when, we, when we come to Jesus Christ, we're, we're able to put on that new man, which is Jesus Christ. We're able to put on that new man and you know, stand firm against the devil and, and um, grow and, and develop and, and live a, a life that is growing more and more holy as God wants us to. This, this book is all about sanctification. If you've been in church, you know sanctification means that, hey, we're growing more and more like Jesus each and every day. And we're letting things strip away, be stripped away and, and dealt with. And we're, we're replacing those with good thoughts, godly thoughts, good patterns, godly patterns, and all that kind of stuff. And this is a book on sanctified living. As we walk through this thing, this is a book on sanctification and what it means to live a holy life and change our attitudes, change our behaviors, change all those things that God wants to refine and pull out of us. But when we come into this world, we are sinners, right? Now, how many people here... Even though you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, still sin on occasion. I guess we don't have to, we can, just occasionally, just occasionally, okay. So we're, we're all on this level paying field. I don't want to, I don't want to put a lot of guilt on you today, maybe, maybe later, but not right now. Uh, I don't want to put a little guilt on you right now. So what I want you to do on the count of me, uh, not kind of me, kind of me, kind of me, one, two, Nick, I don't know. On the count of three, yell out as loud as you can, Nick, you are a sinner. One, two, three. That was too quiet. One, two, three. I want the people to be able to hear in the recording. One, two, three. Okay, so your pastor is a sinner. What? How can you say that about me? I'm a pastor here. Don't you see all the good things that I'm doing in my life? Don't you, you know, I don't sin. I, I don't, oh my gosh, I don't do all those, those bad things that those other people do. And one of our tendencies can be to, when we look at our own sin, push it off, push it off, push it off, cast blame, push it off to other areas of our life, other people in our life. Um, man, blame God, blame the devil or whatever it may be, but not actually unpackage who we are and what we need. I'd say that sin, our state of sin, puts us all on the same level, right? It puts us all on the same playing field. We, we all still sin. If you don't sin, come and talk to me later and I'll, I'll tell you about lying, all right? We'll talk about lying, which is a sin. All right, but the reality is, I know, I know a lot of you in this room, many of you in this room, and the reality is, I know a lot of you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, have trusted Jesus as your Savior, but we can still be pulled into, we can't be fooled about this, we can still be pulled into the trap of sin. James says in 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Looking back at that, that passage, but you are going to be tempted you will sin. There are things in your life that need to be taken care of still. Now, Jesus has given you relationship with God the Father. Now, let's take care of the stuff that's hanging on, right? When, when I became a believer, yeah, I didn't just become all clean and goody-two-shoes and perfect in all my actions and all my thoughts and all my desires and all that stuff. I still have stuff to wrestle with. I think there are still strings on each of our hearts and our minds that, that people can pull on. The, the outside world can pull on, the enemy can pull on to try to draw us in to those old patterns and behaviors and habits that were our go-to defaults in our lives. And maybe they still are our go-to defaults in our lives. Lamentations 3, 4 
prophet from the Old Testament, he says this, let us examine and probe our ways and turn back to the Lord. He's talking about God's people. He's, he's not telling them, you weren't God's people, you better turn to God. He's talking to God's people saying, you are God's people, you still got to examine your ways, you still got to probe, there's still stuff deep inside of you that needs to be dealt with Let's do it, let's examine it, let's probe it, and then let's turn our ways back to the Lord. I call this, this the luggage we carry. I've used this illustration a couple times. I call it the luggage we carry. You know, we, we all have suitcases here. We've probably all been on some sort of trip and we pack our suitcase. We have suitcases of the heart. And I don't think that when I came to Jesus, all of a sudden my 20 or 30 or whatever, how many suitcases I've been dragging around, I don't think those automatically just disappeared. Now, God is mighty, and there are some things that, some mighty things that people have been saved from where God says, yep, tell you what, we are just removing the suitcase, all right? But I think as I've lived my life, it's like, you know what? No, those strings, those ties, those things that, that I tripped up in the past, I think I still have to deal with those. And I think what Jesus is saying to us, and I think James is going to say to that, this as, as our body, that, you know what? It's our job. Jesus realizes you have stuff you're going to struggle with. Jesus realizes there is stuff in your suitcase that you will keep struggling with. It's probably those things as we, you go through a trial, you have a difficult time. It's like the default. Oh, yeah. If I'm an angry person at my heart and I go through a trial, boom, boom it's going to blast out in anger and I'm going to take it out in people around me. If I'm a jealous person at my heart, then, man, there, I go through a trial or I start to question my relationships. Why are they not you know, texting me? Why are they not calling me? Why don't they seem close to me anymore? And my, your mind will start to go to these places that are your defaults that we may not have taken care of yet. And I think Jesus says, you know what I want to do? I want to help you open up the luggage, acknowledge the stuff in the luggage, and let's start dealing with the luggage. Let's start pulling that stuff out and bringing some healing in your life as we process this thing together. I think that's sanctification. We wouldn't need sanctification if when we came to Jesus, everything disappeared. All the bad stuff disappeared, and we never went through a trial. This whole New Testament scripture is about being sanctified, growing closer and closer to God, and that requires us opening up our suitcase, being willing to open up the suitcase, being willing to reveal some stuff. Jesus knows all this anyway, right? Jesus knows all this stuff. God knows all this stuff. But being able to open up this stuff and acknowledge it, we acknowledged our trials, acknowledging the places that we slip up, that we, we fall in temptation and say, you know what, Jesus, I need you to walk through these thoughts, these behaviors, these attitude, all of these things that I always seem to slip up on because when I experience a hard time, boom, I dive right back in here. I, I let my eyes wander from you and I dive right back into the first God that I had, me. And I got me piled up in this thing. And God, I need you to help me get out of this suitcase and deal with those heart attitudes that I've struggled with in the past. I think that's what Jesus wants to do with us in Lamentations. It reminds us again, examine, probe your ways. This is, this is godly stuff. This is, look at it, look at it. James is going to tell us later on, confess your sins to one another. That's, that's going to be a, a chapter for a later sermon, but confess your sins to one another. 
there's something about bringing it out. We, we wrote down our trials, and there's something about therapeutic about writing down those trials and, and owning, this is where I know I'm going to struggle. These are the things that are going to cause me to slip up. If I'm not careful, if I do not keep my eyes on God, Jesus, will you help me through that and help me not fall into the trap of going back here when I experience this. Help me to own all this stuff that's in my suitcase. And James says, hey, you're this, this is going to trip you up. This is going to trip you up. Be aware of this. Don't be deceived. Don't think this is all gone. Don't think this is not going to affect you. It's going to affect every single one of us in here. Don't be deceived that this will just go away and it will be easy for you because sin is like giving birth. He says, we're enticed by our own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. There are things in our lives, there are actions, there are attitudes, there are behaviors that though our, the blood of Jesus has covered us from that final death, protected us from that final death, we do not experience that final death that separates us from God. That's been washed away. We still may experience, I call them the paper cuts of death during our life. All those paper cuts of death because we act out or we seek our own desire, we, we do our own thing, we keep our eyes turned from God, and slowly but surely, all of those actions will continue to add paper cuts of death to our experience and to our lives, and we want to be done with that stuff. So let's talk about the birth of sin. Let's talk about the birth of things that we struggle with. And I'll take you, this is, this is actually my suitcase. We're going on vacation this next week, taking this bag with me, hopefully not full of sin, but uh, taking this bag <laughs> with me. But I want to I I walk through unpacking, a little bit of unpacking, and, and what it looks like to let some things fester and build and still control your lives. And so this is actually, this is actually an issue for me. This is, this is something that I've had to wrestle with with God and, and work through with God. And, and I just want to unpack a little bit of this with you as we're talking about what it means to give birth to sin, which ultimately leads to death. Now, growing up, had a great family, loved my family, very close family. We, we were good church folks. We went to church every single Sunday. Uh, in fact, growing up, uh, we went to a school uh, that was attached to our church, and it was like I had a class of 11 people and very sheltered and, and uh, just, you know, Sunday through Saturday, we were just exposed to church stuff. And it was great, and it was wonderful, and I uh, had great, loving parents. And uh, my last name is D. Young, which is a very Dutch name. Anybody else here Dutch? Anybody else? No, 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 no. Okay, great. I'm the only one. All right. Well, <laughs> this is going to be great. We had a saying in our family. We had a saying, it was a joke, it was a joke, but it, you know, with every joke or with every piece of humor, there's truth under it, right, as, as you do this. Well, we had a saying in our family that if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. <laughs> this, this is actually something that we said in our family, and uh, very interesting, and I think it was uh, believed pretty profoundly by some of my relatives uh, but this, this was under the surface of us. Man, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much, okay? And I'm the only Dutch person in here, so that says a lot about the rest of this crew. <laughs> this is why I'm here, to minister and to help serve and turn people in the right direction. All right, so anyway, this, this, this was joked about, but there's truth to this thing as it, as it helped form our belief systems our attitudes, Dutch people were very prideful kind of thing. And tell you what, 
Uh, when, I, when we first got married, I jokingly mentioned this to my wife, who's not Dutch, but I still, <laughs> still love her. But I, I, mentioned this, I mentioned this to my wife. Boy, she was about to slap me. I think she was about to slap me because they were missionaries growing up, and one of the only churches that they could attend as they were missionary, missionaries on the field was a Dutch Reformed church. And if you're in a Dutch Reformed church and you're not Dutch, yeah, this rings true. <laughs> uh, so her experience with that was very negative. Very negative. And, but this was, this was something that was going on in my family. Actually, it's funny because I went down to a um, Bethany Christian Services meeting yesterday. I was meeting with some of the board members. They do foster and adoptive work around the state. And it's a national organization. And I was meeting with them. We were having lunch together and doing inter- introductions around the table because I didn't know anybody around the table. So we're doing introductions around the table, joking around. And one of the ladies on the far side of the table said, what was your last name again? I think it started with a D, and it sounded very Dutch. And I said, yeah, it's D. Young. I said, ha, yep, you're, you're Dutch, aren't you? And, I said, and she said, you're probably from Michigan, aren't you? And I'm like, what? yeah. <laughs> and uh, um, she said, oh, we're Dutch, too. And I said, oh, it's great. Is I'm actually going to be using this in a, in a sermon illustration about some joke that we had in our family. And, you know, this saying, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. And she, she laughed, and she said, we have a plaque of this in our house. <laughs> so this is not just my family being de- and, and uh, having sinful attitude. This is a cultural thing, but we have these cultural things, right? Think about your own lives. We have these cultural things. We have these family things that are sort of ingrained and built into our lives as we walk through life. Well, like I said, I grew up in a, a great home and went to a great Christian school with 11 other students in the class for all of elementary. And then we, that was in Dallas, and it was such a shame we moved to Dallas and there wasn't a Dutch community there. So we had to move back to Michigan after that. But we moved back to Michigan after elementary school. I had gone to this little Christian, um, little Christian school, got into the public school, bigger city, public school. I mean, the, the town that we moved back to had the downtown with, hey, you lock your doors when you drive by this place. You don't go to this shop. You don't do this thing. You never drive through this neighborhood. Very diverse not, not a huge, huge town, but a good-sized town, very diverse. And I actually, we lived in a little suburb community, but I actually went to the school where the inner city kids were bussed into. Outside the inner city, they were bussed into our school. And I got to school, or excuse me, junior high and then high school, and found myself in the minority. I mean, deeply in the minority of people who looked like me, acted like me, had the same skin tone as me, all those kind of things, and found myself in this situation. And I hated junior high. Junior high was a trial for me. Trial. Little school, so naive, coming from elementary school, moving into a public school that was very diverse, very large, then into high school, kind of the same thing. I was the kid who got shoved in the locker. I was the kid who had the books knocked on the floor. I was the kid who was tripped in the hallway. Trey turned over in the lunchroom. I was that kid because I was new, I was naive, and I didn't fit in to these groups that were already established there. Well, when you already have sort of a little bit of a pride thing going on, and you, know, oh, and you start to realize that there are other people who are not like me. And this was sort of a new revelation for me. There, there are people out there who are not like me, and they don't act like me, they don't behave like me, they don't think like me, they, they, they don't do all these things like our families do, and what's up with that? How do I fit in with that? And it came to the conclusion through these experiences, through this trial that I was going through, I'm not sure I like people who are different than me. 
I don't think I actually like people who are different than me, who act different than me, who, who do all these things that are, that are different than the way I've always known it. And slowly but surely, you start moving into a pattern, a more destructive and destructive pattern, because you start getting a little um, high on yourself, and you start thinking a little bit too much of yourself, and I act so much better. I am so much better than all these other people. You know, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do all these things. I don't go to the dances. I don't go to the parties. I don't do all these things. I don't do the drugs. I don't do whatever it may be. I am so much better. I thank God that I am so much better than all these other people. That sounds like something from the scriptures, right? <laughs> My goodness. And then you start to think that, well, you know what? Their behavior is wrong. Their behavior is destructive. They, they shouldn't be doing those things. And if they would just do something else, whatever it may be, X, Y, Z, then their lives would be so much better. Why can't they just get it together and act in the appropriate ways, in a good Dutch way? I don't know. Uh, why can't they just do whatever it is to start acting in a more responsible, a more productive way? And so these thoughts start forming in me at a very young age. Um, and all of a sudden, I find myself sitting in a situation where you go out to the mall, you go out to a, you know, a social place, the marketplace, whatever, and you see these people who are different than you, and my first reaction is not that, oh, hey, great image bearers of God. My first reaction is, oh, we should watch out for them because they are dangerous. I've never met these people before. I don't know their families. I don't know who they are. But my first thoughts lead into, these people are so dangerous. We should stay away from them. And my, that's first destructive thought of, you know, they are so, so dangerous. I can't associate with them. This went a lot better in the practice as far as clipping these things up. I'm going to have to get a clipping secretary or something to help out with clipping. But it moves into a, a, a you know what? They're just dangerous. They need to be, I need to stay away from them. I need to avoid them. I need to get out of these situations, not associate with these kind of people. And you start moving into patterns and thoughts where, you know what? It's better if they just weren't around. It's just better if they just weren't even around. Why do they have to live in the same town as I live in? Oh my goodness, God forbid that they move into the house next door to us. You know, why can't they just stay in their own place? Why can't they just stay in their own place moving into attitudes? Well, it would just be better if they just went back to where they came from. It would be better if they just went back to where they came from. And you can see how sin, when it's led by your own desires, which can be insecurity, which can be destructive patterns, destructive habits, whatever it may be, you can see that there's a path that leads to sin and a sinful process. And what happens at the, as you keep moving down a path like this? It can be very destructive very quickly. If you were to look at this, if I, if I put this on the internet and said, hey, this is my story, boom, 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 and I just put this out on the internet, people would turn to me and say, you are a racist. You are a racist. How dare you? How dare you judge these people? How dare you look down on these other people? You judge people because of the color of their skin and families they come from, places they come from. You are a racist. And actually, I'd have to stand here and say and confess to you, yes, 
in the heart of hearts, though I've never burned a cross, though I've never hurt anybody, though I've never done any of that, the heart of heart, when God looks at my heart and the recovery work that he's had to do in my life, I can say that, you know what? I am a recovering racist at heart. Now, God has done some incredible healing and work and actually took me to some places to start breaking those patterns and those behaviors. And a lot of it was also, hey, God, this, this is really stupid. This is really destructive. This kind of path leads you down to a, in a dangerous path if you keep going and going and going. No one, no one stands up in the, you know, one day and says, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to be a racist today, or I think I'm going to struggle with this sin, or I think I'm going to fall into this trap or whatever. It's usually a path, and you've got, you got to say, God, you know what? I am dismissing millions and millions of people. I mean, reality is you look around the world and no one, there's not a lot of people like, you know, like us. Everybody's different. There's diverse, you know, diverse populations of diverse countries and all that kind of stuff. But if you walk down this path, then you, I'm dismissing precious image bearers of Christ. Precious people that God has created in his image if I keep walking down a path where my mind just automatically goes, these are the thoughts, this is the process, this is what I go through when I, you know, struggle in an area, well, I can blame someone else. If they would have done this, if they wouldn't act like this, then, you know, hey, it's not really my fault that I'm having these thoughts, you know. I will tell you what, God's done some ton, a ton of recovery work in my life, taking me out of this, changing my thought process. But I will tell you what, when I am walking in the flesh, and doing my own thing, and I see on the TV a, a shooting or, or something like that or, or uh, some, some gang stuff, if I'm thinking in my own flesh, where does it go? It goes here. It goes here. It goes to this process. And this is the stuff that Jesus wants us to help unpack. Now, we all have various things in our life. We all have our own suitcase full of stuff. And I'll tell you what, I probably, you know, I could have 20, 30 suitcases I drag behind me. Jesus wants to come and say, hey, unpack the suitcases because these are the things that will destroy relationships. When you talk about death, sin leading to death, yeah, we've been saved from that great death, but we can still experience death in this life. Cut off relationship is death. All right? Anger, acting out of anger can lead to death in this life. Emotional death, all, the, all that stuff, all that stuff. If we give birth to sin, it eventually leads down a path of death. And our minds, our hearts, our bodies are a battlefield. God has won the war for us, but our mind, our daily walk is a battlefield where the enemy wants to steal stuff from us. Our own mind wants to bring us back into bad habits, behaviors, things that will steal the joy that comes from the Lord. We are living, our, our bodies are a battlefield. Our minds are a battlefield. And Jesus comes in, James says, hey, we're going to conquer this. You can conquer this. You can work through this. Have Jesus help you unpack this. Oh, and by the way, we want Jesus to help us unpack this. Who are we together? Body of body of Christ, that means we're unpacking this stuff together. We are working together. We are encouraging one another. Hey, you got a suitcase, you got a load that you are carrying. Hey, let me help you open that thing up and process through some of these stumbling points that you find yourself falling into. We are all in the process of healing. We are all in the process of sanctification. I've been talking to with some recovery friends, and we've been talking about healing. It's like, man, recovery, this is recovery work. We are all recovering sinners. 
We are all recovering sinners, recovering from the sins that, that, that we battle against. And we may say, oh, that recovery stuff, isn't that for the folks who sit out there and they go to those meetings and they sit in those little circles and they say, hey, my name is so-and-so and, and you know, I'm an alcoholic or I struggle with this or whatever. But we are all recovering sinners. And we sit in the shadows. We keep it closed. We like to sit in the shadows because I'm a good Christian. And if I actually opened up my suitcase, you wouldn't like me. And I feel shame about the things that I hold in my suitcase. But us, James says, hey, open it up. We own it. We walk together. We build one another up. Even in the midst of trial, open that suitcase up. Let other people come beside you and help through the power of the Holy Spirit. Help pull those things out. Process through those things because Jesus does not want us to bear this weight. And these are the things that we stumble on. We all have our own process. We all have things that we could pin up here and say, oh, yeah, if I thought about it, this is the action that I always default to when I'm having a bad day. Oh, well, it's from here and here and here and here and here. And oh, wow, I really see the process and I need to work through that with the Lord. That is how sin is birthed. We are all sinners still. We all struggle. We all wrestle with those temptations from the past. And we're here to help one another to break out of that. I will tell you, man, we live in a broken area. And we may hide it in the church, but the rest of the North Country is so broken. I mean, I, this recovery thing, I'm going to skip my notes now. This recovery thing is huge. I mean, look you guys in the eyes. This, this recovery thing is huge. There are hurting and broken people out there. And we need to be a place where we can say, hey, you're broken. There are things you are struggling with. You don't have to walk through those doors and hide it. We're going to help you walk in relationship with Jesus Christ, but we are here as a church to throw open baggage. And we're helping one another throw it open so that we can help other people throw open their baggage and start removing those things. It's tough, tough work. And I think that the churches in this area are going to have to go deeper and deeper in our, in our level of, of recovery work. The reality is we're all recovering. We're all sinners. We, we, we tend to tag other people. Oh, they're the ones who really need it. They're the ones who really need it. Well, that's just, that's just hiding the sh- in the shadows. Okay, we're all on the same playing field. We have brothers and sisters out there. We have people out there we know who don't know Jesus. They don't know how to open the baggage and actually start working through a, a relationship with Jesus and start pulling the stuff out. This, is, this stuff is huge. This has been on our hearts. A few of us, man, this stuff is huge. We, we, break, we break because of the stories that are starting to be told in the North Country and it's starting to be, come out more and more. There was a gentleman who was fellowshiping with us. Dave brought it up a couple when we did a prayer week. Fellowship with us one week, a couple weeks, and he died of an overdose. And probably none of us knew it. And shame on us for a church and for leaders and for people who could rally around for not recognizing that there are hurting people out there who need our help. And we're too busy covering our own stuff to open our eyes to see the hurt and the wounds in our communities all around us. And we want to be a place where people can come up here, throw open the baggage. It's going to be messy. It's going to be hard. We're going to hear some stories. We're going to hear some glorious stories from people who are experiencing uh, healing and recovery. But we're also going to hear some messy stories who people are just in the midst of it. And can we do that? Can we do that? Can we 
have ears that are sensitive to, to key in on that. Okay, we'll shut this thing down now. I'll skip the rest of my notes. But my last encouragement here is, in, again, in verse 18, God has given us new birth through Jesus Christ, his choice, that we would be the first fruits of his creation, of his creatures. First fruits thing is huge. Don't miss that. What that means, as I read that, what that means is we are the first fruits of this creation, this new creation that is to come. We are already on the trees, the ripe, delicious fruit that God is bringing as a new creation. We are already on the trees. We're not experiencing it in full yet, but when we step, when we walk through the Holy Spirit, we have a chance to display kingdom life. We have a chance to display what it means to actually live in the kingdom of God because we are his first fruits to set up an example of what is to come. How we live, how we act, how we respond, how we fellowship with one another, how we love one another is an indication of what is to come, what God has in mind to come. And we got to get rid of this stuff. We got to deal with this stuff so that we are actually living as true first fruits of God's creation. Uh, We'll close with this verse here. Paul says in Philippians 4, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things, and the God of peace will be with you. James says we've got the God of joy, Paul says we've got the God of peace and we want to live in peace and joy and the pure, the undefiled, we want to start filling our suitcases and continue to fill our suitcases with that stuff as we pull out the other stuff that is getting in the way and that is causing us to stumble and to fall. Jesus, it is by your grace that we do this. Your grace and your mercy allows us to do this. You know, we we could have been left in a state of sin and just discarded living in misery, living in sin, not having any hope. But God said, you know what? I'm here to give you hope. I'm here to give you peace, the joy that you need. I'm here to help you mature and continue to grow. Come into my family. Come into my family. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for that gift. We praise you. We give you the glory and the honor that you are due. Thank you, Jesus, for everything that you have done in our lives. And we come in your precious name. Amen.